Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cyclocross Social Podcast, the second episode of the off-season series that we are running. And today with me here to talk about some road racing are Isam and Twan. Hello. Hey everybody. As you can imagine, we will be talking about the Strade Bianchi, the race on the wide roads. The race where, if you look at it, it looks like the time has been standing still for 50 years, or maybe even longer. Like we're back in the time where Bartali was racing against Coppi, and they needed to fix everything themselves. A beautiful race, personally one of my favorites, and it is probably the race on the road that leans the closest to cyclocross racing. So that brings us into the first question that I have for you guys. We were racing on gravel here. How much do you guys think that this gravel is comparable to a faster cyclocross parkour? Well, I, I think it's comparable in a way. I mean, the the way they go on it is a little bit like uh, Paris-Roubaix. You know, they, they use those sections really to pace up. The, the pace between the sections are a little bit slower. So... On the partic- on the sections particularly, they're they're going on a cyclocross pace very hard, but with a different tire thread than they normally would go, uh, and it's just it's interesting to watch, and uh, you know I think it's it's pretty damn close to cyclocross in a way. Yeah, I think it requires a lot of uh, bike handling skills as well, um, so it's um, maybe a bit comparable to some of the faster parkourses out there. And then of course. If you're riding on these thinner tires and you need to take corners, especially on the downhill gravel sections, you will feel your wheels slipping away from you. And I think that that is really where the advantage comes in for the cyclocross riders, that they know that feeling, they know how to control their bikes and they can go faster through the corner. And if you know the parkour strada, it's a lot down and you like launch yourself halfway up the next climb until you need to start put pressure. And personally, I believe that the cyclocross riders, because they can take those corners in the downhills, especially on gravel, a bit faster, they can launch themselves up slightly further the next climb, and that that is maybe more what gives them the advantage in this race than necessarily the experience of having ridden cyclocross races. Yeah, I I tend to agree on that. I think recuperation is also a big thing. Uh, You know, coming off such a section... In cyclocross, you're more used to because you have those lap after lap races, which are you know very short uh, in terms of how long a lap takes. You you have only a little bit of rest to do the other section, and you try to recover as fast as possible. And I think with with Strade Bianchi, you have to try and find your rest on, in positions which are a little bit unnatural in the descent, for example, where riders that are more used to the roads not really have a chance to recover and actually have to put more effort in because they're losing in the corners. And I think that in particular really helps those guys. Well, then on to the racing. And we had a winner in the person of Macho van der Poel. And let's talk about his race first. Then we'll go on and talk about the other cyclocross riders. When was the first moment in the race that you guys thought, whoa, well, van der Poel, he is really good today? I think for me, that's... It only kind of happened on Latofa because on Monte Santa Marie, um, he put himself uh, too far back and he looked good. But I was just thinking, like, if, if you're this good, you can't let yourself get pushed that far back. So I'm not sure what he's doing here. Uh, but on Latofa, it just became very clear that he was on an amazing day. And, uh, well, uh, it would, uh, of course, come down to that sprint of the final hill where... That, that was ridiculous. 
Well, Tuan, I agree that he was far back there on the uh, on the sector of the, with the name of Fabian Cancellare de Monte San Marie. Uh, he was far back, but when that attack was made, I think it was by Wout van Aert. I was thinking, oh, he's at the back. Oh, he doesn't look good. I kind of got reminded to what happened last year there. But the ease with which he then started to pass riders left, right and center and connect to that group... For me, that was already a first showing that he was good. Of course, I still had a couple of doubts because he was there at the back. But the fact that he managed to bridge to that gap, I think he was the only one who managed to bridge to that gap, uh, bridge to that first group there. I think that for me already showed that he was having a very, very strong day. Yeah, I, I think that indeed he was. You know, overall he was he was looking very good, and I think especially at those moments you could see that he was just having you know still something in the tank still had something left in terms of energy and what a contrast compared to last year where he kind of struggled with this race and everybody was like well maybe it's a little bit too much climbing maybe his preparation was not well and now we could see that it was only the preparation and not the fact that the the, the, the parkour doesn't suit him yeah about that preparation i've uh, thought about that because last year of course the was a long break from march to july because of coronavirus outbreak of course and i personally think that that made it very very hard for riders like van der poel but in general just the teams with a bit of a lower budget to compete against jumbo against Wout van aert of course van aert a very strong rider you saw it again here he eventually ended fourth but look at last year Jumbo was riding an altitude camp, basically, a Grand Tour at altitude. That's what they were doing in the months before the season was going to start again. You saw George Bennett being in great form as well. Meanwhile, Van der Poel, what he needed to do was train like in Belgium. And he needed to train alone, or if he was lucky, he could train with one other guy. I mean, that's incomparable complete to the altitude camps that Jumbo was doing for months and months. And I think that that really affected him. And that this season we're going to be in for a big Van der Poel show because this guy looks strong and I think he can still get a couple of extra percent leading towards the Tour of Flanders and Roubaix. If I was somebody that should race against him and, and, and you're you're telling me that he still has some percents that, that are coming that are going to be added up to his shape, I would be a little bit scared and maybe even um, thinking about not doing the race. But I mean, I, I think the preparation indeed you know, had to do with the money and the, the way big teams prepared for it. And I mean, with big teams, I mean, the teams that are, you know, have, have a good backing, but also have a good organization. I think like teams like Ineos and, and Jumbo were very, uh, very good in organizing a, a training camp. And I think the teams like, uh, even the Kearney Quickstep had some issues and it and, and for Alpes and Phoenix, it was no different. And, you know, they, they struggled a little bit with the preparations at the beginning of the Corona season in a way. And I think this year he had a normal, a normal way of preparation coming out of the cyclocross season, you know, with with a world championship, and uh, the show goes on, and he is uh, again just fabulous in, in in this race, and I think it just shows the class the the rider has. Well, then of course we had that leading group, which was uh, basically a group of elite riders. We had 
the Tour of Flanders winner, Mathieu van der Poel, Tour de France winner, Pogacar, Tour de France winner of last year, Bernal, Van Aert, Pitcock, uh, Gogol was there as well, and I'm probably missing a couple of riders there. But that was really, really nice to see as they raced further towards La Tolfe, I mean, and then there on that climb, the race literally exploded. Van Aert, who was dropped before, managed to come back, but, I mean, after that attack of Van der Poel, I mean... It, it's it's a kind of a miracle that Bernal and Alaphilippe managed to come back because of what I saw there, I don't think I've ever seen that before. And if I see that, I am wondering why this guy always suffers on the Koppenberg because that was insane. Yeah, I, I think that that acceleration, what he what he was doing there, producing and and just basically just you know sprinting them out of of, of the wheels. I mean, they could have seen that attack coming and. There was basically no reaction. I mean, there was a reaction, but there, it seemed like there was no reaction. The way he got like that gap uh, at the top of of uh, the Tolve, and I think that that he kind of knew that it was still a little bit too far to the finish line. That he maybe could have done a solo, but was not really certain if if that would would you know uh, be a good idea. If they're like organized behind him, they could have caught him back. Maybe spent too much energy, and then it would be a different story. And I think he just knew. If I bring, if I take with me a, uh, Bernal, who obviously had Pitcock behind him then, and Alaphilippe, who was the strongest of the rest, you know, then he had a potential of just going with those guys to Siena and um, finish it off there. Well, and they sure did finish that with another blistering attack there on the climb leading up to the Piazza del Campo. Tuan, what did you think about that? That was ridiculous. Van der Poel makes Alaphilippe look like, well, basically a half amateur. That was something else. And if you see these attacks, I mean, I already just mentioned it. I mean, these are efforts of, I think, the length maybe of the Koppenberg. How do you guys see that he sprints up these climbs, but yet, as soon as we come to the Koppenberg, this man suffers, and he suffers big time. I I think it's definitely a mental thing. I also think the Kuppelberg is slightly longer and a little steeper, which um, probably doesn't suit him quite as well. Um, But it's probably mostly in his head as well. Yeah, Yeah, I I, I would add on to that that maybe... Um, the the difference between like a Koppenberg and what you what you get with with the races that we had now is there's a lot of I would say a rest in a way between those hills and the hills are very long and I think that is just something he kicks on that you have a hill and then a little bit of recuperation and then you can go again but the Koppenberg is obviously a pretty hard uh, round a bit pretty hard lap and the Koppenberg comes up so many times in one hour that you know at some point. The durability is going to kick in and the muscles as well. They have to work so much. So I think the parkour is just something he doesn't really like. It's something mentally, but it's also something just physically. And um, he, he showed that in the Ronde van Vlaanderen, in Tour of Flanders, that he was just able to do the Koppenberg uh, very well and able to follow the strongest in the race there uh, with uh, Philippe. So I don't think he has that many issues with the Koppenberg. I think he has some issues with the Koppenberg cross. But isn't Van der Poel the rider we know that he recovers super quick? Because look at the UAE Tour. He won the first stage. It was an echelon stage. He was in that first group. He did a tremendous amount of work. Even when they were on the local lap, he worked. And yet, he still wins that sprint with ease. I mean, okay, some sprinters weren't in that group. But still, he recovered despite doing a lot of work. Whilst other riders had just been chilling at the back. 
Yeah, I mean, I I agree with with the, the with the fact that he can get his recuperation pretty quickly, but I think the 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 problem starts when you when you go on those climbs on the Kopenberg especially, and you do it so many times uh, behind each other, and the parkour itself doesn't give you that much rest. Uh, I, I think just that that the weight, the the way you climb it, uh, the gear, it's it's a lot of things that play a big role with 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 such a race, and I think. That just the whole combination of it, the mental uh, part of it as well, that it didn't go well the last few years, that that plays a big role. But, you know, even if he didn't like that race, he was still able to win it once. So I think at the end of the day, he, he, he knows how to do it. Yeah, so maybe the Koppenberg is even for a rider like Mathieu van der Poel, just that Koppenberg cross, maybe it's just that little bit too much for him. Even van der Poel isn't perfect. And no one is. No one is indeed, but Van der Poel does come pretty close. However, I have to say, he had a very strong teammate um, in the person of other cyclocross rider Johnny Vermeers. Vermeers ending 14th, which is really good in my opinion. And he rode a super strong race as well. I think uh, the development that Vermeers has shown in on the road, uh, especially, has been very impressive. He's just been a very solid helper for Martin van der Poel, uh, really being there at important moments so far in the uh, Classics campaign. Yeah, I agree. And I think Vermeers already made that step last year a little bit, you know, showing himself very, very well in, in those spring Classics, which weren't in the spring, but with the Corona season, obviously. Uh, in uh, in the August, September, and uh, October, but I mean, he 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 showed already there that he was you know he was some someone that was a, a, a very you know very strong rider in those type of races, and he showed it again in Strade Bianchi. Obviously, had a crash, uh, his hand was uh, a little bit open and was blooding a little bit, but he managed to uh, to to. Uh, to endure the pain and um, you know finished very strongly in, in, in I think 14th it was right. Vermeer's also had a very decent cyclocross season, a couple of top tens, top fives, sometimes just outside 12th at the World Championships. I think it really shows that Vermeer's is a very strong rider, as said on the road, but he can also combine it with the cross maybe a bit more than his teammate Tim Merlier, who really looks to have shifted towards the road. I agree, but I, I would say, though, that Vermeers also, in a way, made the step to the road a little bit more. I think that Vermeers normally would be a guy that is able to compete with the Hermans, with the Fakesso, and, you know, be in the mix and be a little bit more in the top tens a little a little more often. I think that because he's thinking more about the road season, he is, you know, he, he, he shifted his focus there and he's now uh, performing better on the road and performing a little bit less in, in the cyclocross. I think an important note made there as well as well is that uh, because of COVID, the road season went on for longer. Uh, both Merlier and Vermeers had to ride on the road for longer uh, because um, of the races that got moved all the way back. And this probably hampered their preparation for the cyclocross season a little bit. So we might see that this season in cyclocross, this next season, that they actually are able to um, get back to where they maybe were once. Well, then it's time to talk about the other cyclocross riders, Van Aert and Pitcock. These two riders got dropped together before the attacks of Van der Poel already. What does this tell us about their races? Let's start off with talking about Van Aert. Van Aert, for him, it was obviously his first race of the season, um, which, in my opinion, was 
something I, I wouldn't think was going to be an issue for him. Uh, but in the race, it just showed that he was, you know, he was not able to have that racing durability and he kind of missed it in a way. You could see that he was not like completely fatigued or that, that it just wasn't, you know, that it wasn't his day. He was in a good shape, I think. And even, you know, his body also looked pretty good. And I think his training went uh, went well, but just not really having that rhythm to to stay with those guys on the hills and uh, just lacked a little bit of rhythm in general. Yeah, I think what Ism said is right. Um, Van Aert just lacking a little. Um, and uh, I'm sure this will go all right uh, over the coming uh, weeks and months. But uh, of course, Trade, it just wasn't quite enough. However, he still ended fourth. Did you guys expect that after he was dropped? I, I think after he was dropped, I uh, basically thought that he wasn't going to be there um, and he certainly wasn't going to beat people up that steep ramp, uh, which of course uh, we all remember in his first year there he really struggled with. Um, I didn't think he would have the acceleration to challenge um, uh, the likes of Pitcock actually in that group, um, but um, he actually managed to do it, which was, uh, I was surprised by it. Well, I hope that Van Aert can make that little step so he is able to compete with Van der Poel and Ada Philippe. I would love to see those three battle it out once again. However, we also need to talk about Tom Pitcock, who ended four, uh, fifth here. We already talked about his performance in the opening weekend. And Pitcock here in fifth, once again, shows the talent he has. Let's not talk too much about the talent. Isam and I already did that in the previous episode, and that talent is still in him, as this fifth place shows. What are your guys' key takeaways of the race of Pitcock? I think H is showing still. Um, like, you know, we discussed it already, but he's in a learning curve, and uh, I think this is this is a race which is around the 200 barrier, 184 in total, uh, which is still pretty long and with a lot of hills. I think tactically he he did a good job, uh, but he was just in terms of volume, he still lacked a little bit. Nevertheless, I mean. Amazing result, and just to be there with with the lead guys at an age of twenty one, that's I think is quite quite impressive. Yeah, I think um, what Pickock's done here is very impressive, uh, and um, yeah, he should be very happy what he was able to achieve here. Uh, just a very impressive ride by him, and I'm sure over the years uh, that angel will grow and grow, and uh, he will be one of those guys that we'll be watching out for for uh, victories uh, like on the regular well something i'm curious about but i don't think you guys have the answer because it wasn't actually on the broadcast but pitcock he came uh, at the top of the climb to the piazza del campo as seventh he was pretty far behind pogacar like three or four seconds and he still managed to overtake him but he also overtook goggle in that narrow section with a lot of corners i mean it would be pretty interesting to know what happened there what went down there but i'll guess we'll never know <laughs> I guess we don't. Yeah, I guess that's just uh, the technique um, and the fighting spirit that he has in him that we have seen over the years. Yeah, very interesting if we ever could get our hands on that footage. Well, then the last note here about Strade Bianchi, French champion cyclocross Clément Venturini ended 17th here. Also a decent performance by him. I mean, that's just based on the result because there was absolutely no footage of the group he was in. He was in a group with Mollema, Van Havermaat and Bardet. However, in my opinion, it's a decent performance and I think it's also a development because before I really saw Valterini as this guy who sprinted on the flat. But apparently this season he's also developed himself into a decent hills, hilly sprinter. 
Yeah, I think I saw him at the start of Monte Santa Marie. He was actually quite well positioned. Um, and I was really surprised to see him there. As you said, a um, bit of a sprinter. Maybe for the tougher courses. But um, I think really um, finding his kind of race here in Strade Bianchi with, uh, well... A lot of things he likes, uh, just some technical stuff and short and steep. And the results before Strade also show that trend. I mean, he ended 11th in the Bernard Drum Classic and uh, 18th in La Guelia. And for Islam, the last question here about Vanterini. He will be starting in the Volta Ciclista Catalunya, a race known for its relatively weak sprinter field and some hilly stages with which could end in a sprint. Do you think that he could potentially win a stage or top three a stage there? I mean, if if there is one race as a as a if you have some sprinting legs but you're not really a sprinter, and you can get over some of some some hills, I think Catalonia is, is a is a pretty good race to uh, try and and get the top five, top three, or even a win. And I I think he might actually do well. I think top three is maybe ambitious in a way because there are a lot of good riders going to show up there. I think, but who knows? Maybe he he can get himself into into a, a decent top five well then to end off this episode of the cyclocross social podcast we need to mention tim merlier today he won the grote prize jean-pierre monseret in belgium a bit of a b-tech race on a day with a lot of racing however he does win there grab his second win of the season and with what kind of sprint i mean he won that with ease yeah that, that was that was quite ridiculous i mean he um uh in 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 the last kilometer there was uh there was a little bit of uh, there was not really organization in in the sprinting uh the Kuni quickstep had uh, cavendish there uh and there was pascalon as well going up there with timothy Dupont. uh but it was a quite a chaotic sprint in a way and Malir, i think he went on at 300 350 maybe uh very early uh, and and just got a gap of I, I think 20 20 meters and you know never got gave that away and crossed the line you know looking behind him if there was somebody going up but he was clearly uh, the fastest and uh, just again uh, he showed uh, his speed in a way. A very impressive uh, sprint by Tim Erlier indeed even had time to look behind and genuinely like three or four bike bike lengths there. It's... Um, yeah, doing what he was supposed to do, I guess, in that sprint field. Well, then, I think we have had it for this episode of the Cyclocross Social Podcast. I would like to thank you guys for coming on. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for hosting. And we'll be back later this week, probably on Wednesday, with another episode of the Cyclocross Social Podcast, where we will be talking about some news that has come in from the Cyclocross world. We'll see you guys then. Goodbye. Arrivederci.